0: they wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting ling ling city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you The Media
1: Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis on the media issues of the week, and we are very grateful to have you joining us. We'll try to reward you by giving you some thoughtful notions here. I'm Rex Smith, editor-at-large of the Times Union, with my colleagues, Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. Ira Fessfeld, longtime publisher of the Daily Freeman of Kingston, New York, and its affiliated publications, and Barbara Lombardo, uh, longtime editor of the Saratogian, executive editor of the Record in Troy, and now teaching journalism at UAlbany. So welcome, you all. Thank you for uh, being here for our conversation. And I turn first to Dr. Chartok, of course, because you're a political scientist, Alan. I mean, I know on this show you wear the hat of uh, media executive, but you are really the person who can explain to us, perhaps, given those two hats, Why do we keep making the same mistakes that we have? After the 2016 race, there was a lot of introspection by the media saying that lessons learned, we're not going to give a lot of free airtime to Donald Trump, to the outrageous stuff, we're going to do better about reporting what is true more so than what is not. Don't you think we're making the same mistakes? Case in point, NBC giving Donald Trump a town hall countering the Joe Biden town hall at the same time exactly on Thursday evening after Trump refused to attend the presidential debate. So there I've set it up. Alan, tell me, why do we keep making these same
2: mistakes such is the predicament of all mankind that we keep making the mistakes that we've made before. Talk to somebody who's been married four times. You know, they make the same mistake. <laughs> <laughs> the triumph
1: of hope <laughs> over evidence, right?
2: <laughs> right. And Donald Trump, of course, is good for business. It's that simple. Or as we used to say, good for business. So uh, I yell at the television every time they put them on because I know what they're doing. And I tell you right now, it's so simple. Politics is the authoritative allocation of scarce resources. In this case, the scarce resource is money. And that's what they're after. They want to beat each other's brains out. And they are not looking at the ethical considerations of saying, OK, Donald Trump wants to end democracy as we know it in this country. He's a bully. He's a terrible man. He's a cheat, he's probably a tax cheater, and we continue to give it to him because it'll get a few more people watching as opposed to watching another channel, and if they're not watching another channel, I know I'm going on here, but if they're not watching another channel, that's good for whoever the boss of the news director is, if you're following me.
3: Well, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. What? You don't agree? (laughs) What? Let's stipulate that as we sit here doing this program, the town hall hasn't yet occurred, so we don't know what the content is going to be. I'm unclear right now as to whether or not NBC is selling commercial time for this event, or whether it's going to go straight through as a live news event. And I'm also very significantly unsure about what kind of questions Trump is going to get. I'm starting from the premise that Savannah Guthrie will be asking him questions that he's not getting on Fox, that they're going to pin his feet to the fire quite a bit more so than he is used to, and that at the end of the day, this might not turn out so good for Trump even if his oh, ratings Ira. are even if his ratings are more significant than the one that uh, Biden is going to get on ABC
4: that is so sweet of you, Ira, to be so gullible and naive and thoughtful that we're going to Ooh. change our ways. And He's going to suddenly answer questions. Come on, Alan. Well, if he doesn't answer them,
3: then he's going to look bad. Thanks. Who is
4: going to care? But the mistake that Rex made was when he said we, like are we making the same mistake over and over, Alan is correct in saying it's all about the money, and it's not we as the journalists. This is not what journalists want to do. It's what the owners of the companies that provide the news They're making the decisions, and it's all about money.
1: Let's go on to that point, because I'm reminded of what Les Moonves, who was the chief of CBS, he was the chief executive of CBS in 2016. He said this, it may not be good for America, about Trump's presidency, but it's damn good for CBS. So that's the point that Alan is making, that it's about money. But, Barbara, don't you think there is a journalistic reason as well? If you don't want to be as cynical as Alan is, that this is all about money, why then are some of these mistakes being made journalistically?
4: I think it's still about resources and money. I think it's sometimes misguided belief that journalists, if we keep asking a question, we're going to get a good answer. We're going to get the true answer. We're going to expose the truth. And just doing those kinds of interviews is not the way to do that. It's reporting what's really happening, reporting facts, reporting news, and not just getting sucked into, quote, unquote, covering what Trump is lying about.
3: The media question is, was NBC correct in scheduling an event that spotlights Trump in prime time and goes directly against his competitor in this presidential race. And I believe they were not correct, but I want to see how it turns out before I seal that.
2: The problem with this program in general is the difference between the theorists who say we should, of course, do the right thing here. And then the, those, the hard-nosed people, people like Barbara and myself, who say, you know, there's a real difference between the academic sort of response about what the responsibilities of the press are and the way that it really works. And the way that it really works is quite clear. As Pete used to sing, newspaper men are such interesting people, it could be a study in prostitution.
1: Barbara, are you on the side of Alan, saying that it's all about money? I thought you were trying to say the opposite, that journalism actually does have some voice here.
4: I think that journalists do have a voice and a feeling and a sense of social, civic responsibility. But we are beholden to the bosses. We, being journalists, are doing what their bosses want. So is it a public service for, say, major networks to be showing competing interviews or town halls with the two presidential candidates at the same time? Where is the public service in that? I agree with that
3: 100%. I'm just questioning, when you talk about whether the business end has taken over for the editorial end, That is dependent upon whether they're selling commercial time. If there are no commercials on any news program or any program period, the networks are not making any money. So we we can't judge that. I'll, I'll be a lot more critical of NBC than I already have been if it's determined that they're also selling time on this event.
2: Respectfully, Ira Bushu. That cannot be so. Even if they don't take commercials, the fact is that they're competing with the other guys and they don't want the other guys eating their lunch. It's really that simple.
1: Well, Alan is right about that in terms of drawing audience. Uh, that's clearly true. But I think there is a journalistic question. One of the biggest issues, of course, of 2016 was the credulous reporting of stories about Hillary Clinton, about the hacked and leaked emails, and you know making such a big deal about Hillary's emails, which was, in fact, not a big deal by comparison to Donald Trump's lies. That's the issue that I think we still have trouble with, because we are still going forward with Stories that seem to be giving credence to what we know isn't true. Case in point, amplification of this preposterous New York Post story about Hunter Biden dropping off computers and the fix of a computer. It turns out that this is a very dubious story, but it got an awful lot of attention, drawing attention to this supposed questionable link between Joe Biden and Ukraine, which is itself Trump campaign disinformation. So I think that we do still run this risk of giving what, you know, you sometimes call both sideism of seeming to give weight to a story that doesn't have as much weight as a true story, just in an effort to be fair. And that's a journalistic good impulse, but it leads to imbalanced
2: reporting, right? You know, I've been watching CNN a lot. And one of the things that's so fascinating about CNN is, in the old days, they used to say, on the one hand, on the other hand, and there was false equivalency, now they just call the guy a liar. And they say it again and again and again. They keep saying he's lying. And they point out, this is a mistruth. This is not right. So I think there's an evolution in the way in which Trump is being covered. And let's face it, right now, as we speak, Trump is way behind in the polls. There's a reason for that. And part of it is what the media is doing. I'm
4: still nervous about the polls. I don't care how strong it looks that Trump is behind the polls. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And I'm worried. I don't believe all the polls. I am worried about complacency. I'm worried about voter suppression and whether votes will indeed be counted. I, I don't think it's an for your election the way Trump is trying to raise those fears. But I think that there's real danger about are all the votes going to get counted if I
2: right fail. Bobber, you know, I half agree with you. I certainly agree with you that Trump is going to pull every trick in the book to take this thing, and it may be the end of democracy as we now know it. On the other hand, I do believe we are in a spot here where the polls, which called Hillary the winner the last time, were not wrong. I'm sorry, folks. They were not they wrong. Were, they, You're right. They, they were not wrong. There was one or two little tiny things. The guy won by 78,000 votes, but the majority and the most of them, almost all of them, were completely correct. So I wouldn't worry about the polls being wrong. I would worry, as you say, about him stealing it.
3: Rex, your, your initial umbrella question to start the program was whether the media had learned anything from the last cycle. And I would argue that it has. There is a lot less live coverage, and I'm talking primarily about TV and more specifically cable TV, which seems to be how many people judge what the media is doing. There is far less live coverage of Trump's events now, except on the right-wing stations. He's getting a lot less time. The story that you cited, Rex, I don't know where you saw it other than on Fox News and the New York Post, but I looked all day and could not find anything about that story in the quote-unquote mainstream press. So. I I think that they are using quite a bit of editorial judgment and restraint. And to that extent, they have, in fact, learned a lesson from the last cycle. You know, there's some truth, I think. There's
1: some evidence to back up what you're saying, Ira. The president did a campaign rally, for example, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and even Fox News only showed a little bit of it. So Trump is left urging his followers to watch Newsmax and OANN, these little tiny sectors that barely get any attention. So it could be that the Trump show is drawing less attention. That we're getting tired of this, and the reruns are about all that he's got to show for it. And so maybe that goes to Alan's point: is that a commercial decision? Is Fox saying, "Well, it doesn't draw the numbers the way it should, so we'll do something else"? Or is that a journalistic point? I guess that becomes <laughs> why it is that we've learned,
3: or if it well, facts. even Fox is not anxious to preempt. It's prime time lineup because the prime time lineup is what's making all their money. That's where the big numbers are. And I suspect that they have research that shows if they dip out of Hannity to go to a staged event on the campaign trail, that they're losing viewers.
2: Well, I have no idea whether that's true. I just don't. All I know is I read a fascinating article about one of the Murdoch boys. Was it James who had quit the company? Don't worry about him. He has billions of dollars, but he quit because he happens to believe Trump is a bum, I believe. At least that's my projection as to what he's saying. And, you know, it's quite clear that our journalism has fallen into disrepute when a New York Post has one of its ruling members say, hey, this ain't right. So, you know, I, I think it is prostitution. James
1: Murdoch left the company because he didn't agree with the right wing. I think that's what your that's point exactly is. That's exactly what but, it and, and, is. But that's Fox. We shouldn't be lumping all journalism in with that. Here, for example, I don't think WAMC, which is a news media outlet after all, it practices journalism the way the New York Post does. So, you know, give yourself a little more credit than that. I'm sorry.
2: Uh, I didn't quite understand what you just said. I think you may have mixed your words up, but you're not saying that WAMC is like the New York Post, are you?
1: Exactly the opposite. I'm trying to correct yeah, you from yeah. seeming to say that. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Okay. Well, we're
2: no. all on the same page. Fine. Yeah,
1: exactly. I think that the difficulty is when we get to something that's not quite as cut and dried as that, like, for example, the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation, the talking points that are the Republicans' stock and trade for that, it's difficult for the media to avoid that. For example, the topic that dominated last week's Sunday shows was whether the Democrats want to pack the courts, which is a hypothetical and I wish that Joe Biden would answer that question, being a journalist, but the fact is that's a hypothetical, whereas we have a strong evidence of what Amy Coney Barrett's ascension to the top court is going to bring based upon her statements and what the president wants and so on. So, in effect, by amplifying that story, the question of whether Democrats will try to get more justices on the Supreme Court – Aren't the reporters handling that then playing into the Trump hands? Aren't we just amplifying campaign talking points?
4: I totally agree with you in the direction I think that you're suggesting is that, yes, it is terrible that the press is following those Republican talking points. And it happens over and over again. We should know better. It's happened also with, I would point out, the Senate's failure to approve help for Americans. And the Democrats get put on the defensive, like, why aren't you coming to agreement? Instead of the media repeatedly saying, the GOP-controlled Senate wants to do X, the Democrats don't want to go along with that because it would only provide why. And instead of looking like it's a whole gigantic legislative body that can't get anything done to show that the Democrats have passed things that would help people and that the Republicans don't want to do that. Instead, we keep repeating what I would call a false narrative, making it look like both sides can't seem to work together.
3: And are you suggesting that that's all media or is that just print or is that just broadcast? Or both.
4: I could definitely say broadcast, and I would have to criticize fairly the print media. I'd have to go back and be able to show evidence of that over and over again. Well, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. I said
3: earlier, I've thought this for a long time that the broadcast media is the one that is, for better or worse, what we are all judged by. And that's not fair to the rest of us. By us, I mean print media. I mean, I read the New York Times virtually cover to cover every day, the print version of it. A lot of the stories that perhaps are more slanted to the Republican side are covered. So are the stories that are slanted the other way. But at the end of the day, I feel as if I've got a balanced picture and not a disproportionate picture as to what is going on. I don't think that that's possible in broadcast, where you have only one channel that you're watching, and here's who's on. And if you want to watch it, you have to listen to that person. And there tends to be more heat and fire than there is light on these channels. And to Alan's point, I think it's that they want to draw eyeballs. And I think we are judged unfairly if we use TV as the measuring stick for all of us.
4: I would agree with that, but I think one of the shortfalls of print journalism is that it's a one-and-done And one and done is not sufficient. So we can honestly say on Tuesday or Sunday, the New York Times or the Washington Post or whomever or your local newspapers did this great piece on uh, explaining what's really happening with the Supreme Court hearings or voter suppression or the aid for citizens or any of those things. They've done it once. Then it's like, okay, now we've covered that. Now we're going to move on to something else. And the beauty of broadcast is the ability to keep bringing it back and bringing it back. And and print needs to keep bringing it back also.
3: Well, I would suggest that that's not a beauty. I think that's a fault, because if you watch nothing but TV, you hear the same story, such as the one Rex referred to about this conspiracy theory. And if you watch conservative TV, that's what you see all day. If you see that story in The New York Times, you read it, you digest it, and then you move on to something else. You're not whipsawed by it. What we're ignoring is that the way that younger consumers consume the news,
1: the digital platforms, and the delivery of that by social media. People who are younger, let's say, news consumers who are out of our demographic, Assume that if there is important news, it will find them, that it will come to them, that they will be able to access it whenever they want to. Digital news presentation is really so superior to television or print or even radio, and that is because you can delve as deeply as you want to into a story. You can find it whenever you want it, and you can get push notifications. That is, it comes to you based upon the sources that you ask for. So I think that a lot of the concerns that we have about the limitations of both print and broadcast are lessened as people actually get into the digital media ecosystem. And it's not good for the old media in terms of our business model, but boy, it's really better for consumers in their ability to access information, right?
2: You know, Rex, I keep coming back to the fact that newspapers are dying. How do we know that? Because they keep closing up. There are fewer days that they publish the rest. You give a very spirited and strong rationale for having newspapers, which I agree with, by the way. But there's a reality, and the reality is broadcast media is in the ascendancy, and in my opinion, newspapers are dying. So with that said, it makes no sense to say, okay, well, the New York Times does a story in depth. Now, I love The New York Times, and I read it every single day. And I wonder, however, because I think the points that have been made here are correct. They do an in-depth story, and they're on to the next thing. They don't rehash it all day long, and they have a limited number of people who read the thing. There's a sort of elite in this country that read The New York Times – most people don't read the Times. So wow. uh, Are you the... off from the facts,
1: Alan? Your facts are just not true. The New York Times. Oh really? Is its oh, really, four, four oh, million, really? oh really, Rex? Oh really? Four million digital subscribers, Alan, and, 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 th- th- and
2: three hundred million people in this country or more. So don't tell me that most people read it and that I'm off from the facts, because Mr. Rex, you're off from the facts. I am telling you that it is not read by an awful lot of people. It is read by a substantial number of people who read newspapers. And I love The Times, but it is not doing, for example, what 24 Hours on CNN is doing.
1: Actually, Alan, in your notion that broadcast is in ascendancy, what I was saying just before you spoke is digital is in ascendancy. Broadcast and print are both forms in decline, but I think that you're just using a bad example of the New York Times. I mean, I think other print media would be better evidence for you because the Times is the one place that has actually seen its imprint grow significantly.
2: I couldn't agree more among those people who read newspapers. No, not among, among everybody.
3: <laughs> yeah. no, well, I agree listen. with Rex that broadcast is not as in a society Well, of course, because you're one the,
2: of those guys. You uh, devoted it's, your it's, whole career to the crumbling newspaper, it's, it's... newspaper industry. It's, it's... We, we all know that.
3: Newspapers. They're not saying they're going to newspapers. I'm saying that there are just simply too many channels, too many other outlets, and it's hurting everybody. They may not be dying broadcast, but they're not doing as well as they used to. Now, there may be exceptions. W.A. AMC's listenership, I believe, is up. I think that's great, but I believe it's the minority.
2: Well, no, but also, don't tell me that CNN doesn't have enormous impact on the way people are thinking about it. And the evolution of CNN, by the way, from a he said she said her to a this-is-the-way-that-it-is-and-telling-the-truth, I think, has drawn many more viewers than we had ever thought possible.
3: I'm not sure CNN's viewership is up. I think all of the broadcast and cable outlets and all the radio outlets, most of the radio outlets have been diluted because there are so many places to turn, and digital is a big part of that. That is correct. Safe
4: to pop in now?
3: Please.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
4: I just wanted to say that the future is digital news presentation. It's not even a matter that's open to dispute. We could look at who it is that's presenting that presentation, what outlets are doing it, what outlets are doing it well, which outlets are going to be doing it in the future, who's going to make it economically and who isn't. But for our news consumers... Not the Alta Cacos, as my grandma would say.
1: (laughs) As I would say. Future
4: news consumers, the digital news presentation offers all the things that we want the media to be able to do, to provide depth, to provide clarity, to offer information repeatedly if needed or to be able to access it, to update things as things change, that's where the news
2: would oh, be. Okay, so that. for our listeners, could you guys give us some examples of successful digital outlets?
1: The New York Times for, for, uh, the for number The New York Times one. would be my
4: first, <laughs> absolutely. The New York Times, they've got graphics. They've got analysis. They've got breaking news. The Wall Street
3: Journal for number two, right? Well, Well, I haven't seen my old newspaper's numbers for a long time, but I think it's safe for me to say there are many more people reading the digital product that the Daily Freeman puts out than are reading the print edition now. Mm And I'm, I'm sure the Saratogian this, is the same way. With respect to my outlet, there are more people
1: accessing Times Union content than ever before. That's because of the digital presentation. So, and I think that the timesunion.com remains the most successful digital news presentation in this part of the, the world, in our little corner of the world here. So I would say, uh, Alan, to your question... There are many very successful digital news outlets, and that many of them are coming from the so-called legacy media.
2: But you have always been the first to complain, Rex, that the revenue from the digital doesn't equal the prices that you guys charged on your papers for placement in the paper, and therefore it made it more difficult to survive.
1: No, that's absolutely true. But we were talking about audience and the way that journalism is delivered. And uh, what Barbara and I are saying is that the best journalism is being presented digitally. That's the, the best way to access journalism these days. And what Ira is saying is that there's more audience there and that broadcast is not, in fact, the wave of the future. So we all need to get aboard the uh, digital train, folks. That's where things are going.
2: Woohoo! <laughs> well, we certainly have Ooh-hoo. a lot of meat for the next 25 media projects.
3: Yeah, this is a rough one. i got to go take a breather.
2: <laughs> okay. That's all we have
1: time for today, folks, for The Media Project. Alan Shartok, who we never hear enough of, and so we'll try to do better on next week's show. And Barbara Lombardo and Ira Fussfeld, and I'm Rex Smith, grateful to our producer, David Gustina, for putting up with us for all this, and thanks to you for joining us this week on The Media Project.
2: Watch it, Rex. Woo.
0: the bill. It's wonderful to represent people. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. She wanted money to buy a new fur coat. To get insurance she employed Skullduggery.
3: The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Chartock is CEO of WAMC, professor emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is editor at large of the Times Union. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to or podcast the Media Project anytime at wamc.org, or just download the. WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening.
0: Now, newspapermen are such interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now, newspapermen are such interesting people when they know they've got a people's fight to wage. ting ling a ling Newspaper Guild, got a free new world to build. Meet the people, that's a thrill. All together fits the bill. Oh, newspapermen are such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the people. Publishers are such interesting people, their policy's an acrobatic thing, they claim to represent the common people, it's funny Wall Street never has complained, ah but publishers have worries for publishers must go, to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough, now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising. Get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press.